so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. You know, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to the Animal Voices Radio Show, Western Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio, CFRO, on unceded and ancestral Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territories in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Today is Friday, May the 14th, 2021. I am your host, Alison Cole, and I am joined here today by my co-host, Elise Jacobson. Hi. Welcome to the show. Today's show features interviews with two local vegan and animal advocates who will be sharing their wealth of knowledge that you will only hear here on the radio. In mid-April, it was announced in mainstream media that the major financial troubles of the Vancouver Aquarium during the past pandemic year were coming to an end. The Vancouver Aquarium, run by the nonprofit organization OceanWise, had sold the aquarium to a private for-profit U.S.-based tourism corporation called Hershen Enterprises. Hershen now has full ownership of the aquarium and also owns a dozen theme parks, amusement parks, water parks, and aquariums in the southern United States. So what will this mean for the 70,000 creatures who still reside at the aquarium every day? We have local Vancouver aquarium expert and animal advocate David Isbister on the show to fill us in with some facts and history about the aquarium and where he sees this new venture going. There are some ugly things to uncover here that have not yet been made apparent to the public. And for our feature interview, our dear local friend, vegan cookbook author, Drina Burton, will rejoin us on the show. We know her as a master of creating delicious and nutritious vegan recipes since 2001. She has a new exciting cookbook coming out this summer, her sixth book, and it's called Drina's Kind Kitchen. Drina has a wonderful, warm, and helpful presence on social media where she is very active in helping people learn about the vegan lifestyle and how to cook wholesome plant-based foods. She will join us on today's show to speak about a variety of topics, including what it's like to raise children vegan from birth, and she will share with us some cooking techniques and some of the yummy recipes in her book. Drina will also comment on the current global tofu shortage and cooking during pandemic times. Not only that, she's running a fantastic contest that you'll want to enter for sure to help promote the book and win some amazing prizes. That interview is coming up in about 32 minutes, so please do stay tuned. So I watched a series on Netflix recently, a miniseries that I absolutely loved. Um, It's the new David Attenborough Netflix show called Life and Color. And you've seen some of this too, right, Allison? Yes, I actually just finished watching the first episode today. It was really good. Nice. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, the series is basically about how animals use color in their lives, like either for attracting mates, for camouflage. Animals in the wild use color in all sorts of different ways. And this series is kind of special because they developed revolutionary camera technology for it to kind of give viewers a sense of some of the color and light frequencies that other animals can see that humans cannot see with the naked eye. For example, many animals can see ultraviolet light frequencies and we can't see those. I wanted to read a a quick statement from David Attenborough about the show. He says, over the decades, film has made extraordinary advances from black and white to color and high definition to even ultra high definition. But we have always known there is another world of color that only animals can see. For life and color, we developed new technology to provide a window into these invisible worlds. It has allowed us to unlock some of the mysteries of nature and to share these with our audience for the first time. So that's pretty exciting, I thought. 
Yes, and for me, I saw the first episode. So the episodes are broken into um, the first one's about seeing in color for animals. The second one is about hiding in color. And the third one is called chasing in color, which I haven't yet seen. But I can speak on what I did learn about with seeing in color. First of all, the photography was gorgeous. And to see in color Mm -hmm. from a human perspective was really a wonderful thing to see. I saw colors of different animals that I had never even ever seen up that close before or had never even seen. So, you know, when... uh, this is just an aside for animal rights. When parents say that they want to take their kids to the zoo to see all these beautiful animals, you don't have to. We have this wonderful, like very high definition technology on TV now and everyone seems to have a 50 inch screen or or up to 75 inch screen these days. So there's, you know, and we're in a pandemic as well. So stay inside and, and watch these programs inside and enjoy them. So I learned about hummingbirds. I learned about butterflies. I learned about there is some beautiful footage from the Great Barrier Reef and all the amazing fishes and their colors within that reef and I learned about the animal I didn't even know exist which is so beautiful they are colored like a rainbow and this is the peacock Mm -hmm. mantis shrimp I didn't even know really what a a shrimp looked like (laughs) to be honest yeah oh yeah so uh, they can rotate they're huge two eyes independently of each other and in any direction. Mm-hmm. They're the only species, I believe it said, that can do that. So that was so cool. And they can see in both polarized color and unpolarized, which I found to be really interesting how polarization actually works. And as you were saying, ultraviolet vision as well in the world of animals. Mm-hmm. I learned that there's six different species of flamingos in the world. And that, did you know that flamingos are, I might have read this once, Flamingos are actually not pink. Did you know that? Like they're actually born white. Yes. And the pink color comes from what they eat. Hey, they eat this yeah. algae that um, yeah. that colors their feathers. Yeah, it's amazing. Algae and shrimps, though, because shrimps are pink. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Um, those have carotenoids in them, which gives your body a red pigment. Just like I know, I think if people eat a lot of carrots, they their skin is <laughs> orange. At least that's what my mom used to say. Yes. But I think it's true as well because of the carotenoids in them. So what did you think about episode two? Well, yeah, episode two kind of goes more into how some animals use color for camouflage. Actually, one of the most interesting parts of it to me, they talk quite a bit about why tigers are orange why they're you know much of their fur is orange because it seems kind of odd that they live in a landscape where there's really no orange color you'd think they should be something closer to green but it was explaining how green is not a color that is possible to manifest in mammals however what was super interesting about the tigers is that their main prey is several species of deer and deer are colorblind in a certain way that they can't see red colors they can't see shades of red and orange so they were showing again with this amazing camera technology what a tiger looks like from a deer's perspective especially when he's hiding in the grass or you know whatever and it's amazing how well he actually blends in like you can't you really can't see him very well at all so it's amazing how even though to our eyes, a, a tiger really sticks out to a deer, he blends in perfectly. So that was pretty amazing. That's fantastic. I also learned about hummingbirds in this series. Hummingbirds are, again, it showed their mating game and their iridescence and their color and that they have lives and that they have this whole life cycle that they go through. And I think like we might take them take them for granted. We just see them as these little, little birds that are buzzing around. But this show certainly opened my eyes more to hummingbirds and as it turns out hummingbirds have been in the news lately here locally in BC do you want to tell us about that yeah this was such an amazing story several outlets reported on it this one from global news says that work on the trans mountain pipelines construction has now been stopped for four months after the the discovery of hummingbird nests during tree cutting members of the community nest finding network or cnfn alerted federal wildlife officers in early april over concerns workers on the trans mountain pipeline in burnaby were not complying with the migratory birds convention act according 
According to the CNFN, on April 12th, officers saw the felling of a tree with a hummingbird's nest in it. And as a result, Environment and Climate Change Canada issued the stop work order until August 21st. So I think this was an Anna's hummingbird. They're one of the most commonly seen hummingbirds on the West Coast. And under the Migratory Birds Act, unless regulations are made, no one can allow for a situation where migratory birds may be killed, captured, or taken, or their nests be damaged, destroyed, removed, or disturbed. So this is such an amazing story in a way about a hummingbird you know, just unwittingly, I guess, protecting our forests, protecting our environment. And I wanted to read this beautiful quote from Judy Wilson, who's an executive board member of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs. And the Union of BC Indian Chiefs also supports the work stoppage on the pipeline. Judy Wilson said, it is very symbolic that a tiny hummingbird has stopped local construction of this pipeline. At the same time, it is not entirely surprising either. Many stories honor the qualities of the hummingbird, and one that stands out in particular is the hummingbird's tenacious loyalty to the forest. Even as the forest burned and all the other animals fled, hummingbird carried drops of water in their tiny beak from the river to the forest fire. In response to the other animals, hummingbird said, I'm doing what I can. That's so beautiful. Hey, I just... I'm going to cry. That's actually so touching. I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so lovely. So again, while we might disregard these little beings and all the other little beings that I learned about, like the little insects and the butterflies and all that, it, we really have to appreciate them and learn what their place is on our planet and in, in the wild. And we'll be covering more in the show in the future about how human impact and industrialization encroaches upon the wild wildlife right and this is this is just a simple example of that so how can we see life in color for all those who are really interested it's good family clean fun yeah it's on netflix you can find on netflix david attenborough's life in color looking for ways to engage and educate your kids while schools are closed your kids can learn from home with c smarts ocean defender online courses Kids aged 7 to 10 become an ocean defender through interactive virtual lessons and hands-on activities. SeaSmart provides all the resources your kids need so you can work from home with ease. Even better, SeaSmart wants to support you with their Pay What You Can initiative. Visit SeaSmartSchool.com to register today. That's S-E-A SmartSchool.com. For our first interview today, we have local activist and anti-animal captivity campaigner David Espister with us on the show. As a longtime animal advocate and investigator for the animals and formerly an insider working in the exotic pet trade for seven years, David uses his experience to work for the freedoms of animals kept imprisoned for the purposes of human entertainment. In 2017, David was largely instrumental in moving forward the law to pass that effectively banned the captivity of whales and dolphins at the Vancouver Aquarium. The Vancouver Aquarium has recently sold the facility to an entertainment for-profit conglomerate called Hershend Enterprises based in the US, and they are already seasoned in exploiting animals to turn profits. David is here today to expose history and thoughts to our listeners that you may not otherwise know about the dealings at the Vancouver Aquarium. Hello, David, and welcome back to the Animal Voices Show. Hello. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate that. Uh, Just to come back to, once again, to explain and expose to our listeners the realities of the dealings at the Vancouver Aquarium. You know, only the basics are told by the mainstream media to the public when something significant happens with the aquarium or the zoo or other animal exploitation industries, as is our specialty here at Animal Voices. So we know that the Vancouver Aquarium has been having dire troubles this past year staying open to the public and being able to run the facility with the 70,000 creatures that they have inside and this is all due to the global pandemic of course that we are in and they had to shut down to the public last March when this all started 
Then they raised some funds and opened up briefly in July. And then there was another shutdown again in September. And supposedly they had been running at a deficit of a reported $3.3 million per month. Wow. So what do they do? It seems like to me that they were laying low for months. But then just under a month ago in mid-April, it was announced that the Aquarium, a nonprofit organization, had bailed themselves out by selling the facility to an entertainment for-profit conglomerate company. Those are like all bad words. It's called Hershend Enterprises. And this company is already seasoned in exploiting animals to turn profits. David, you have such a history with the aquarium and, and fighting for the freedom of the animals there. What were your initial thoughts upon hearing about this, what I thought was outrageous news? You, you said a lot of it there. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I, I halfway expected them to maybe redistribute some of the the animals uh, that are forced to reside there among other CASA facilities and uh, maybe try and, you know, become something better. But, uh, you know, I, I have a glimmer of hope on that. But uh, again, I wasn't surprised um, at every possible chance, uh, every possible chance for the aquarium to redeem themselves. They choose money or um, they move only just the, the most tiny little amount that they need to move to end the pressure that's, uh, that they're facing, you know, with whatever they have been up to and their hijinks, uh, you know, at that time. So it, it, it's, I'm not surprised. I think they, their new partner or whatever has a lot of red flags, but yeah, I, I wasn't surprised. And, and it is outrageous. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought it was another April Fool's joke after the one that was put out about the Greater Vancouver Zoo on April 1st. But that's another that's another story. Also scary. Yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that perhaps will be another conversation when we have yeah, time for sure, for time sure. to talk about bad April Fool's jokes. So you say that the Vancouver Aquarium has run as a con for decades. They may rescue dozens of seals, for example, but then they have also imprisoned many whales and dolphins in their facilities to do tricks who they've all eventually died except for the one remaining. Can you explain this history more for our listeners who aren't aware? Sure. Yeah, the Vancouver Aquarium essentially started the entire cetacean captivity industry when um, uh, a long time ago they uh, they harpooned a, a whale and and dragged it back and put it in the park and it languished there for three months. Um, but uh, in that time, they did it you know 42 more times, uh, uh, 42 different cetaceans caught uh, or or purpose bred um, and and that died um, almost. Almost statistically, almost all of them untimely deaths or deaths that don't have proper resolutions. And, you know, they've had the, the troubles with with uh, seals and stellar sea lions, as I told in the past. You know, they've they've wild trapped some some seals, uh, experimented on them, and then sold them to marine land and called that conservation. Those seals at marine land were put into poor water quality, Kaza certified water, of course, and four out of five were blinded and one died. So uh, they, they don't show um, any sort of longstanding commitment to, to animals. They trade with SeaWorld and Marine Land, as I was just saying. SeaWorld, they, they helped uh, basically lend them breeding stock that, that they were carting animals around in airplanes. Uh, one of them died after being moved uh, four times in the space of a year and a half to be the sire of various belugas all across Texas and other places. Their seafood certification program Ocean-wise itself, it's not enforceable, it's not enforced, and it's just about licensing their image so that they can generate money. They say they're there for the animals, but they sell them out at every turn. So the, the con that they run is saying that all of that needless animal death and, and sort of money-generating pap is somehow related to conservation and rescue that they can't possibly do unless they murder other animals. So... That's that's the con is that uh, the one percent to five percent that they spend on these so-called measures somehow will enable them to generate millions and millions of dollars on the backs of other exploited animals. And so that's the con. Well, I'm wondering how this is going to work now since the Vancouver Aquarium is now it just turned into a for profit business. So it seems like there's there's nothing to hide behind now. They are right out there saying they're 
going to be animal entertainment because that's what that well. company does. I'm not understanding that. It seems like you know more. So, and you know, coming from the nonprofit world of environmental conservation and animal rights and animal protection, I have never once seen this type of deal take place. So, what's going on here? If you can shed some light. The OceanWise is a is a private nonprofit, so they can choose to spend their profit however they want. In the past, they've done that by throwing lavish events and uh, having an enormous corporate structure that no other real conservation society would be able to support unless they were doing all of the world's <laughs> leading conservation, which certainly Vancouver Aquarium, we can tell by the amount of times that they're cited, are, are definitely not. And also the fact that the, that on the on the profit side of things, they still plan to sort of be like uh, a draw on the new incoming corporations' finances. So they'll be still getting one percent of profits or whatever it is that they feel that they need to operate the rescue that they do. So instead of divesting themselves from captivity, instead of doing a little bit better and trying to find truly private donors and really really establishing themselves, you know, in a new and improved way. They've once again decided to really stick it out with old school, outdated, exploitative, cruel captivity. And, and so that's why they were always aligned that way. They, they're a private nonprofit, so they can disclose less and spend in a more discretionary manner. And they sold out to a for-profit because they all along were for-profit. Just the structure by which they collected the money happens to be a private nonprofit. And that's just the ocean-wise part of it. Needless to say, it's not, it's not quite what it seems. They still are funded by a disproportionate amount of like tourism dollars who want to see animals exploited or of local, local folks as well who don't realize the history or um, realize what they're supporting. And, and just a side note too, um, and this goes along with the con sort of that, that we were touching on before. It's, it's weird that a nonprofit would also be funded by oil and mining and gas. You know, a nonprofit that protects the ocean is actually taking money from the people who are willfully destroying it. So I don't know that they, they, they may have had the, the nonprofit structure, but I don't think that they are by any definition like a nonprofit in ideology or even in practice. I think they just found a way to use it on a, on a lavish corporate structure. And that's why they would run a, a deficit so high. It's expensive to run. And, and uh, there's a lot of salary there. And of course, all the people making the least wage uh, unfortunately, who maybe do have more ability to empathize with animals uh, were let go first. You know, a lot of the people who've contacted us and kind of helped us out in the past, you know, at that level were the ones that, that paid the price too. So they, they, on the human level, there's exploitation as well. Right. So you played a key role in having a ban instituted on the Vancouver Aquarium a few years ago on keeping cetaceans in prison for entertainment at the facility. So again, I imagine this news must activate a lot of buttons for you, although you said you were... You, you did just say you're completely expecting this, but still, right? Like after mm -hmm. all that hard work and decades and decades of hard work by former activists who have been doing this since probably the beginning of the aquarium, what are your feelings about the decades of work that animal rights activists did to finally reach a success for the cetaceans a few years ago versus now suddenly doing the unthinkable for the welfare of the remaining 70,000 creatures at the aquarium because i'm actually more i'm i'm more concerned now about those creatures now that they're being run by a, a like just a blanket like this we are an entertainment company that seems like the wrong hands to put in the lives of seventy thousand animals this particular activist will remain undeterred because the band will remain we got a we got a ban on cetaceans, which uh, in in and of itself is a is a, a wee a wee bit speciesist and uh, has has its own sort of uh, bitterness to swallow. But I can see that there was a template here that may that may help other individuals in the future. I also think about who we're up against. Before, at times, the Vancouver Aquarium was both a very difficult target, uh, a very difficult opponent, and also an exceptionally laughably simple opponent with the, the mistakes they ended up making there in the end uh, with, with um, Mr. Nightingale and, and uh, Marty Helena and all those other kind of funny folks um, at that time. But I look forward to engaging with our, with our new opponents, I suppose. I think that a company that proudly advertises like wild adventure parks that are theme park, water park, and animal park all in one, that offers paid holding of alligators 
and concerts and has their own slew of untimely death that also runs a, a theme park based around the U.S. Confederacy and they operate a monument. It's called one of the most racist monuments in, in North America. They're, they're key executives in common with SeaWorld and stuff. We, we know that these places are, for lack of a better phrase, really all starting to eat a lot of shit. And the reason is, is because more people will take action and uh, more people, uh, even if they don't take direct loud action, they will oppose it in other ways. They'll tell their families to boycott. They'll choose to do other things that, that don't harm animals needlessly. So I know we've got to dig in here and have another probably go at a, at a, at a, a company and make sure that we, we show them that, that these practices are not okay with Canadians or Vancouverites or whatever arbitrary border you want to call it, just people in general. Um, are mm -hmm. standing against um, animals being needlessly imprisoned for no other reason other than entertainment. And in Canada, they're not going to find it as easy as they may find it in other places where people haven't all experienced this kind of history and, and had a chance to reflect on it. So I'm undeterred. The activists, we did awesome work. So we're just going to keep building all of us together. And uh, we're absolutely not going to let Hirschend repeal the ban. And uh, even if it's just me and a couple other ragtags out there. We will be out there screaming and doing things behind the scenes like we always have. So I hope every everybody will join us. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's what I was thinking, too, with regards to this company coming into Canada to try to pull off this, you know, this is like a, I call it a blatant business deal because it's so blatant that, that I feel like the aquarium will no longer be able to hide under the facade as being there for the animals because it's so obvious now that they're not. And I really feel like this is sort of like a yucky thing to enter our country. I feel like Canadians aren't going to stand up it's going to be an easier battle to to show and to get to the hearts and minds of Canadians and and more people across the world as well when something like this comes into our country and our city Vancouver they're not welcome here I feel like the battle will be easier to get them out so what's a call to action that you would recommend for our listeners to follow who perhaps are mm -hmm. just le learning about, you know, these dirty dealings for the first time and what the aquarium really stands for? What can our listeners do at this time? Sure. Yeah. So um, on the informational side, if you want to get a bit more of the history, you could check out vanaquafac.org. Uh, that details uh, more around the cetaceans and the history there. But if you want to find out incidental information, that's a good place. You could join us at uh, No More Dead Captives on Facebook. Um, during the pandemic, obviously, um, some of the in-person actions have been quite limited. So if you want to just uh, wait for an update with us, that would be really great. In the meantime, we can uh, push local and national politicians and uh, councils to uh, look at this issue and, and also find out information about how we can affect this issue through local government and other pressure campaigns through their sponsors, etc. Maybe you know someone who sponsors a CASA facility or, or somewhere and you want to you want to voice your um, discord around that. And uh, post-pandemic, uh, if you're already following us at No More Dead Captives, you will see what we are planning. There's some great actions coming up for uh, GB Zoo. They have a lot of stuff happening with them and also the aquarium now has a new angle. So there'll be campaigns to explore and, and all sorts of different things to help out on. But please boycott, tell your friends to boycott, tell people online why you boycott and, uh, and just be, uh, be as chill as you want to be about it because we are on the right side of history. That's so true. Thank you very much, David Espister, Vancouver animal activist and founder of the group No More Dead Captives for telling us your insights about the latest updates on the Vancouver Aquarium for this year in which the former nonprofit was sold to a for-profit entertainment company. And also we'll have to have you back on the show in the near future to speak about the updates with GV Zoo. Remember to keep connected with No More Dead Captives on Facebook. Thank you once again, David. Be healthy and stay safe. Thank you so much, you too. And thanks for all you do there and everywhere. This is just one small, uh, tiny little tip of all the awesome stuff you do. So shout out to everyone who, uh, who, who runs and works with uh, Animal Voices, including yourself, of course. <laughs> thanks, David. The Downtown Eastside Women's Center has been helping self-identified women and their children for decades, but today, the DEWC needs your help. Due to the COVID-19 crisis, the center has had to cancel its annual in-person fundraisers, depriving the center of crucial financial resources. Services such as hot meals, clothing, showers, and secure mailboxes are now in jeopardy. To find out how you can help the Downtown Eastside Women's Center, please visit their website at dewc.ca. That's dewc.ca.
You are listening to the Animal Voices Show on 100.5 FM CFRO on Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. For our feature interview today, we bring back longtime and BC local vegan cookbook author Drina Burton to the show. Drina began her plant kind life over 25 years ago and has raised three daughters from birth on a plant based diet. Drina is the sole author of five previous cookbooks that offer fun and easy whole foods plant based recipes with unique and delicious flavor profiles. You can see Drina's care and passion in her recipes, as she always writes helpful notes with them, including substitutions and advice for becoming more familiar with plant-based foods and cooking techniques. Drina's recipes have been featured with groups including the PCRM, Forks Over Knives, Blue Zones, the Food Network, and the Food Revolution Network. This year, 2021, marks the 20th anniversary of writing cookbooks for Drina, as her sixth recipe book is set to come out on August the 24th. It is called Drina's Kind Kitchen, 100 plus whole foods, vegan recipes to enjoy every day. And I'm looking forward to enjoying these recipes as soon as they come out. Drina is here today to talk about cooking healthy and delicious meals for your family and the planet and to give some insights as to what we can expect in her new book. Hello, Drina, and welcome back to the Animal Voices show. Hi, Allison. Thank you for having me today. Well, thank you for coming on the show today in anticipation of your new book coming out soon. I'm always excited when Drina has a new cookbook published, but we will talk about that in a bit. First, I wanted to wish you a belated happy Mother's Day. You are a parent to three incredible vegan girls. How was your Mother's Day last week? Well, thank you. You know what? It's lovely when they get older and you have moments where you think, Am I doing anything right here? <laughs> yes, then, you are, Drina. <laughs> and then they express something like in a handwritten note or, you know, give you a, a special gift that is, you know, something that they know you'll really like. And um, yeah, it's touching. I had lovely, heartfelt things from each of the girls. That was really sweet. That is very sweet. You're raising them right. And I would love to speak about vegan parenting, and that is raising your children to eat well without animal products, and also guiding them in your parenthood to a life that calls for compassion to all living beings. So you discovered veganism many years ago before you had your first child. So this is the only way of life they have ever known. What would you say it's like to be a parent to vegan children and bringing them up with healthy and delicious food that is in alignment towards yours and your husband's moral values? It's one of the decisions in parenting that I can honestly say I don't question, like that I, I don't look back and say, I wish I had done this. And we do that as parents, like, oh, maybe we should have done that. And I just feel like that is one decision that has been so grounded in their upbringing. And they have a great appreciation for real food, good food. Um, and they also have the understanding of where our food comes from and, you know, how animals are sentient beings and we respect them and just, you know, an appreciation for the bigger picture in that way. It was definitely more challenging early on when, you know, we didn't have all the resources and, and the Facebook groups and things at our fingertips. Um, but in ways, I feel like it's also helped them have a backbone about things, you know what I mean? When you know yes. you, you hold true to that value and they, you know, get questions from kids and that kind of thing, that builds a little bit of, um, you know, grit and um, in a good way. And then they're proud of it, you know, they're proud that they are eating in a way that's not just healthy, but compassionate too and, you know, good in many ways. That's great. And, you know, it was just Mother's Day last week. So I wanted to bring this up just because I've been seeing you raising your children online for the last 20 years or so and very, very impressed by their abilities, even the fact that they're growing up to make their own food now that they're getting older and the things that they choose are 
basically what what mom would eat too it's like they're you're raising kids to follow your path and and that path is a great one I think so I'm wondering if you've seen the vegan picky eater meme that's been going around on Facebook these days Uh, if not it's a listing of 87 various foods that plant-based eaters typically eat nothing out of too much out of the ordinary and you're supposed to say as a proud vegan how many other foods that you don't eat so I posted this on my Facebook several days ago and I, I was surprised to see that most of the people who responded who were like 99% vegans because that's who it was for they said they had either most of them said they had zero foods that they wouldn't eat or just a couple of foods on that list that they wouldn't eat and it made me realize that when you go vegan you have such a great opportunity to develop your taste palate and to eat dozens of new foods that you never would have eaten before as a meat eater as has been the case for myself I saw that when I was going through the list and going oh I used to not eat that but I do now and I know that being a vegan parent does not automatically gift you with non-picky eating kids but I also have seen over the years as I mentioned the wonderful foods that you make for your kids and that they seem to really really love can you share your thoughts on the vegan picky eater meme and the concept of being able to expand one's taste palate when opening your life to plant foods. Yeah, that's such um, a great topic and question. And I did see the meme. And I wouldn't say there's anything I wouldn't eat. There's a couple of things I don't really love, like Brussels sprouts are not my thing. Really? Um, Yeah. And eggplant is not my favorite. And I don't like coffee, but I love the smell of coffee. So, (laughs) but other than that, and what I will say about that too, is there were many things on that list that I didn't eat for the first, say, 10 years of being vegan. And in fact, in one of my cookbooks, I said, you'll never see a cauliflower recipe in my cookbooks. And (laughs) And now here we are a few cookbooks later with cauliflower recipes because you do tend to... Um, you know, open up to those foods or you have that that particular vegetable made a certain way in a restaurant or something like that. And then you say, wow, like I can like this. I didn't like nutritional yeast for, I think, the first nine, 10 years of being vegan. Then all of a sudden I started using it in small amounts, not big amounts, like recipes mm-hmm. sometimes call for it in huge amounts. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That adds like a little background flavor that's kind of nice. And so, yeah, like we totally can open up to these new foods. And it's like I say when people think about going plant-based, we all eat plant-based foods, right? We all eat these foods. We just eat solely plant-based foods, right? Like we all eat bananas and almonds and rice and (laughs) pasta. We just need to reframe it as, okay, we're eating more of these and eating them in abundance and then excluding the animal products, right? And for kids, they grow into it. Like certainly kids will have um, preferences and they will go through like picky stages. Um, And one of our girls, like she really doesn't like olives and she really doesn't like berries. And that may be with her forever, but she went through a time when she wouldn't eat lettuce and wouldn't eat mushrooms and now she does. So you keep presenting, keep offering, and I do find like anything, like you grow with it. And part of that is maturity with kids, totally maturity. And some of us as as adults, we have to grow up in that way too. (laughs) You know, just be be more open to food. Yeah, so what are some of the things that your kids like to eat that you would think like, I guess you, you're you around other children, friends and that. So what do your kids eat that other kids won't eat? Well, um, yesterday was my youngest's birthday, for instance, Hope. She, she's 12 yesterday. And one of her favorite dishes that she asks for for her birthday is either quinoa or rice with baked beans. Um, she loves like the Amy's baked beans and avocado on top and like that's one of her favorite meals right now some kids would never eat beans just wouldn't eat plain beans and i've sent her to school and kids have asked what is that in terms of green peas or chicken? they don't know those foods right she has a friend now and it's wonderful because her friend comes over and she's very open to lots of food her mother like you know i think it's just their diet and their background they they're always eating different vegetables so she eats everything that we eat and she loves it But honestly, that's, I think, the only friend that I've experienced that with (laughs) over the years of parenting. Normally, 
they um, they will look at things and say, is this vegan? And very concerned about what that means, as in even with watermelon, is this vegan? So the messaging that they're getting out there, parents or something, is that our food is odd or different. So they would even think that something like eating um, bread or fruit is all of a sudden different in our house. <laughs> it's a funny thing. I Yeah, I would have never have thought of that before, the programming that goes into children's minds from the very beginning. And gosh, see you see how adults turn out. So anyways, I encourage people to take a look at that vegan picky eater meme and see what you score. We have it posted on our Facebook page at Animal Voices Vancouver. Now, I wonder if you can speak about the evolution of your long time veganism and how that informs your eating and cooking to feed a family these days. I have most of your books. I have your very first book, The Everyday Vegan, which is one of my all-time favorite books. I've made many recipes from it. And I've also have just enjoyed just reading all your recipes and your subsequent books. Whenever one of your books come out, I just like, it's something that I want to get into bed with and read page by page by page until it's all, it's all done. And, you know, you had your all hummus phase chapter in one of your (laughs) recent books, and that was very fun. So, you know, I've been noticing your developments over the years, but I'm wondering if you can talk about how your cooking has changed in the past 25 years and and how would you describe your current food philosophy to be? Thank you. Uh, well, that is a really lovely thing to hear, first of all, that you just kind of want to curl up with the cookbook and read it because that's, that's a fun thing. Um, I think when I began, I mean, I began from a place of very simple ingredients and whole foods primarily because, as you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we didn't have all these glorious <laughs> vegan foods that we have now, all the substitutes and wonderful treats. So I had to work from a place of learning different vegetables and grains and beans and that kind of thing. I feel like my cooking has definitely changed, though. I feel like I've come to a place where it's simplified in many ways in process and through different books. Like I I think with Eat, Drink, Be Vegan and Let's Meet Vegan, I really wanted to explore a lot of flavor combinations and cuisines and kind of offer some options for like you know, more elegant meals. Um, And now I'm in a place where I really want to offer people because also I understand the value of it myself, how to just make food that tastes good on a daily basis and not stress about it. Make it fairly easy, make it satisfying, be able to have enough for a family or enough for leftovers. Because truly when these kids get older, I feel like I'm feeding a football team most days. Yeah. Yeah, so it has to be fairly simple food. And I've moved into, you know, really even basics, you know, the basics that we have in the plant world and making it interesting, like finding ways to combine nuts with, um, you know, grains or sweet potatoes and different ways to make things really kind of a new offering for people, right? In perhaps a dish that's become a little bit uninteresting for them, like even a pasta sauce. So, um, so yeah, and I think that for me, that's really what I want to offer people is especially, you know, now when we are all cooking at home so much to keep it fairly simple, but still delicious. I agree with that. Yeah, that leads us to your new book, upcoming book, August 4th, Drina's Kind Kitchen. Can you tell us a little bit about it? What we'll find in there? Why, why is it kind? Great question. I think, um, you know, approaching people on this diet in this way, words are very often triggering for people. And I've always been fine with using the word vegan and vegan is in the subtitle, but I really wanted to approach it for people to understand that it is a kind diet. It's kind to yourself. It's kind to the planet. It's kind to animals and to not judge yourself in how you're developing on the diet, right? Because people often ask me about, you know, oh, you know, you don't, you know, don't use a lot of processed foods in your in your recipes. And no, I don't. But that doesn't mean I don't have any in the house. Right. I want to show people how to cook this way. But I need convenience foods, too, for myself and for the kids, and that kind of thing. So not to judge yourself and know that, you know, you can go out to dinner and enjoy a really lavish meal or ordering pizza or have those chips you want or whatever and still enjoy really wholesome diet, say, you know, 80 percent of the time. 
And so that part of being kind to yourself as well and enjoying food that ultimately is very kind. And you've said that if we connect kindness to our plate, that connection manifests more kindness in our relationships with the rest of the world. I, I love that, that, that thought so much. Can you just expand a little bit more about that and what that means? Yeah, I think it's just a consciousness of what we're eating, right? And, and standing where our food comes from and making that connection that so many of us are truly disconnected from that, that is, you know, your chicken is actually a chicken, you know, um, and not much different, obviously, than the animal that you have in your home as your, your beloved pet. And I just think that when we also appreciate our food, like, you know, if you're growing from your own garden, you really appreciate food you've grown, right? Because you know the effort and how beautiful it is when it's growing and how, you know, abundant it is when it starts to take off. And you just feel like, oh, this is glorious. Look at this food I've created. And to think that, you know, every day to just look at your food and say, you know, this is a, a something to be very grateful for that I have this abundant food and be more conscious about it and peaceful in a way, I guess, and have that connect with other things in your life. That's beautifully said. So we have to start talking about some of the amazing recipes in your book. Some of the ones that I wrote down that sort of spoke to me, potato cauliflower scramble, sweet potato lentil meatloaf, lemon poppy seed muffins, avomame hummus, curried carrot and lentil soup, truffle salted cheese, and those are just some of them. (laughs) I know it's always, probably always hard when people ask you, what are your favorites? So I'm just going to ask you if you could talk about some of the foods that you would like to highlight on the show for our listeners, some of your recipes that they might be interested in. Yeah, sure. Well, in the new book, there's definitely a few like favorites that came through with the readers as well as for myself. I made a cheesecake recipe that is nut free, which is hard. Like for a lot of people, a lot of vegan cheesecakes are made with cashews. So it's a nut free cheesecake. And and that one's going to be very special for people. Like you said, there's a lot of oil free dressings in the book. There's a waffle recipe that is just super delicious and it was my first time doing waffle recipes. So that was kind of fun. And there's a great holiday tort um, menu item because people are always looking for a holiday meal. Oh, and a sweet potato cake. So one of the recipes that people have loved a lot from Plant Powered Families is my chocolate sweet potato cake. And in this cookbook, I've made it chocolate free, I guess you call it, no cocoa. So it's a yellow sweet potato cake with yellow sweet potato icing. So that's a real fun one. Um, But I think um, the recipes that are out there and on my blog, people really love the um, artichoke dip. That's definitely a popular one. Yeah, that's one that comes to mind right away. And and a lot of my soups and stews are really popular. I love to make them myself. Um, I, I feel like they really are often meals for our family. So um, I have sniffle soup is really popular on my blog. Um, people can check that one out. And um, yeah, those are some of the, the highlights. Oh, my crazy brownies are pretty popular too. I love those. You have really good titles for a lot of your <laughs> recipes, by the way. And I love the fun that it inspires and just your tone of voice. And I think that that's also what makes your cookbooks really accessible. And to me, like the most enjoyable of all cookbooks out there is when the author has fun with it and then also adds in a lot of special notes to their recipes just to make it really like you're really guiding your readers and your audience as to exactly what to do and those and lots of recipes free recipes on your website as well drinaburden.com so how have you been surviving the global tofu shortage and do you have any tips for pandemic cooking that you've learned in the past year yeah, I, that whole, the whole tofu thing is crazy. It seems to be restabilizing a little bit now. I've been able to find tofu in stores. Extra firm was the it was soft tofu was available, but not extra firm. I don't know there's, if you noticed. The there's same. still no extra firm. Oh, okay. So <laughs> finding it in our stores, but yeah. for about a few weeks there was nothing, and um, I braced one of my daughters our middle girl because she loves tofu so much like it's like air to her <laughs> and I said you know we're running out of tofu so you might want to eat some foods <laughs> just I mean she does but um I actually made a trip to Costco to look for tofu so and I do not like going to Costco so that was one of my survival techniques um I did find it but it wasn't 
as firm and still not the same texture as I like to use. Uh, but it's an interesting, you know, it's interesting to see how, you know, our food availabilities have been affected by all of this, right? And where we are in the pandemic. Well, I've heard it's because during the pandemic, so many people are trying to eat better. And that's that that means hoarding all the tofu, the extra firm. <laughs> Maybe because so many recipes always call for the extra firm. You can find the medium firm out there. But uh, that's, I mean, that's the theory. I don't know if it's true. Maybe it is. It's been a crazy year, right? Exactly. Well, I hopefully it will um, stock. The stock will resume in your area too because it has here. <laughs> yeah. Crossed. Yeah. I actually, I received a tip on Vancouver Vegans Facebook group this week that they do have, I believe it's extra firm at Sunrise Market, which is the maker of all tofu. So that yeah. is good. That's what they have right now. So finally, just to end on a positive note about your book, you have some amazing promos happening right now to boost the success of the book when it comes out later this summer. And I'm wondering if you can tell us about some of these promotions, please, and how our listeners can get involved to not only support the book, but to have a chance to win some amazing prizes as well. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So if you pre-order the book between now and when it's released, um, and the release date is now August, I think it's 24th. Uh, so if you pre-order and you can order one or more copies, there's like gifts, giveaways, prizes for each level of order. So if you order one book, you automatically get a bonus ebook of 12 recipes, which has another waffle recipe in there, which is kind of fun. And then if you order two books, there's another um, level of prizes, and then you get the first level prizes. So everything's on my site, on my pre-order page, andrinaburton.com. And with your pre-order, if you pre-order a book, you can also enter the giveaways. So we have four really great prizes. We have um, a Blendtec package with the Blendtec blender and the twister jar, which is the jar I love and use all the time for those dressings. Um, we have an O Cosmetics giveaway, which is the skincare that I've been using for a year and I love it and it's a vegan line and it's really, really effective. Um, we have an, an Instant Pot giveaway with the Duo, with the air fryer and um, Complement, the vegan Complement supplement. That's, that's a prize pack there too. So if anyone wants to order early, they can enter for those giveaways and there's four winners. So lots of good stuff going on. And they can just go to my site and see the pre-order page. I, uh, I put in one entry last night because you just had to put your name in. So I did that and it's, and there's around, it said it, there's around 95 days left until the uh, draw. So that gives people a lot of time. If you're listening to this later, head over to drinaburden.com. You can also find the link to the contest on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver. Thank you so very much, Drina Burton, author of the new upcoming book called Drina's Kind Kitchen 100 Plus Whole Foods Vegan Recipes to Enjoy Every Day. Once again, to find out more about the book and for your chance to win some amazing price prizes, you can find that info pinned to the top of our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver, or simply visit her website at drinaburden.com where you can find loads of other amazing recipes on our blog there as well and I can't wait to get your book and to try every recipe in it that's how I feel about your books you just want to make every single one they all look good I also recommend that our listeners visit and like Drina's Facebook page which you can find at Drina Burden Plant Powered Kitchen for not only delicious photos and recipes but you do live videos as well which are really really fun as I mentioned to you before I think there was a 25 minute video last week that started with you just washing vegetables and talking about it and I found that to be so soothing it was like therapy I, I just love watching cooking shows uh, to begin with but there are hardly any that I can watch you know without changing the channel so I really appreciated that and you do Q&A's as well right on your videos so that's awesome a woman had a question about what to do or what is chickpea miso and you just pulled some out of the fridge and it talked all about it so you can gain so much insight for free from just getting onto Drina's social media and looking out for her live videos and and asking a question or two and learning some stuff about just regular cooking regular food skills and and regular uh, just or even irregular foods that are to you so thank you so much for that 
So have a lovely weekend, Drina, and be safe to you and your family. Thank you, Allison. Same to you. And I appreciate your time. And may you find some tofu soon. (laughs) You've been listening to the Animal Voices Radio Show on 100.5 FM Vancouver Co-op Radio on unceded and ancestral Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territories in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Tune in next week on Friday, May the 28th. We'll be speaking about the Trans Mountain Expansion Project pipeline and how it impacts conservation. It's also both Biological Diversity Day and National Composting Day next week, so we can expect some information on that. Worm composting may be on the agenda. We here at the Animal Voices show modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.org. Our past podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, so you can subscribe to us there and never miss a show. Join our Facebook page and join us on Instagram, both at Animal Voices Vancouver. And if you want to get in touch, let us know how we're doing or send us ideas for show segments. You can send us a note on Facebook or send us an email to info at animalvoices.org. To close the show today, I am playing a song about wonderful vegan food. It's Be Healthy by Dead Prez. Stay tuned next for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. Stay safe and remember to be kind to the animals. It's all love. It's all love. Vegetables, fresh fruit and whole wheat I'm from the old school My household smell like soul food, bruh Curry falafel, barbecue tofu No fish though, no candy bars, no cigarettes Only ganja, fresh squeezed juice from oranges Exercising daily to stay healthy And I rarely drink water out the tap Cause it's filthy Lentil soup is mental fruit And ginger root is good for the youths Fresh vegetable with them high stew Sweet yam fries with the green hallelujah Careful how you season and prepare your foods Cause you don't wanna lose vitamins and minerals And that's the jewel Life brings life, it's valuable So I eat what come from the ground, it's natural Let your food be your medicine, no excedrin Strictly herb generates from the sun Cause I got melanin and drink water Eight glasses a day Cause that's what they say <laughs> They say you are what you eat So I strive to eat healthy My goal in life is not to be rich or wealthy Cause true wealth comes from good health and wise ways We got to start taking better care of ourselves They say you are what you eat So I strive to eat healthy My goal in life is not to be rich or wealthy Cause true wealth comes from good health and wise ways We got to start taking better care of ourselves Be healthy, y'all
soul has a place 